This Torah class is brought to you by TorahAnytime.com. Okay, good afternoon, ladies and gentlemen. Welcome, welcome, welcome. This is our last class in the series of Menchology 101. We did promise to make mentions out of you this summer, and I already noticed that you guys are much less jealous, uh, much less angry. Um, you're judging people favorably, and now hopefully we're going to be able to learn a little bit about chesed and get us out there and doing the right things. Um, I want to thank you for coming out here. I really appreciate it. It's great. It's growing. Please feel free to tell your friends about it. We're now back in person now for a couple months already. It's awesome to see you all here. Thank you. I want to thank the amazing uh, staff at Yeshua Beth Yehuda and Partners Detroit. I also want to thank anyone who's watching it on Zoom or will be watching it or listening to it. Whatever, whatever, any way you're engaging with this Torah, thank you for being engaged. Thank you for being involved. And I want to thank the amazing folk over at Torah Anytime. It's an app and it's a website and it's filled with millions of hours of incredible Torah content which you can download directly into your medulla oblongata and become a much better human being. All right, they have a direct download option. It's a little normally everything is for free if you want to listen to things and think about them and consider them and mull them over, but if you want it directly injected into your brain, there is a cost for that, but you become a better person. So anyway, whatever. We are talking about loving kindness today, chesed. And I heard a story yesterday that was so amazing that as I was listening to it, I'm like, I'm going to tell the story tomorrow in my class. The idea, we're going to talk at length about the ideas of kindness, but I just want, this is a story where sometimes you do an act of kindness and it comes back right at you to reward you immediately, right? Sometimes it comes back to bite you and you're like, wait a second, I just did a good deed. But sometimes you do a good deed and it just comes back to reward you right away and you're like, wow. So this is a story told over by Rabbi Dov Wiesel. Rabbi Dov Wiesel is currently the head of an organization in Israel called Yad Eliezer, an amazing organization that helps out hundreds of thousands of poor people in Israel. It was founded by his father, Rabbi Wiesel Sr. I forgot what his first name was, but he was my ninth grade rabbi. And he started this organization. He was just, and actually met him recently. We were on a partner's trip to Israel. And we went to go, you know, uh, pack boxes, Shabbos boxes, at the Yad Eliezer warehouse. And who was there but my rabbi from, uh, let's put it this way, a long time ago, right? A long, long, long time ago. And he was so happy to see me. He actually reached, I took down my number. He called me a couple times in America to wish me a good jump. Amazing. This is a man who's got an organization that's helping out hundreds of thousands of people. He takes down my number and calls me to wish, wish me a Shana Tova. Un- unbelievable, unbelievable, unbelievable. Anyway, Rabbi Wiesel Jr., his son, Rabbi Do Wiesel, tells over the following story. One of the services that Yad Eliezer has, they have so many different lines of service. Everything from just providing formula, because many people in Israel, unfortunately, do not have the means to buy formula, and they water down their formula. Something like one-third of mothers serving their babies from formula in Israel are watering down the formula, which means that children are not getting the nutrients they need. That just shows you what real poverty is. So they have, in Yad Eliezer, they've got two wedding halls that they built that they give out to people who are of limited means to make weddings, and they make the weddings extraordinarily cheap. Extraordinarily cheap. They own Because they own the wedding halls. They own the kitchens. It's all done within their system. Okay? And it's a, a service that they provide. So people can have weddings with dignity, even though they don't have the money to be able to afford a wedding with dignity. So he tells over the following story. And these wedding halls, by the way, they are booked solid. 
every single night of the week. Every, as long, obviously during Sphere of Omer, the three weeks, there are certain times of the year that you're not supposed to get married. But other than that, these wedding halls are booked solid. So he tells the following story. There was a, they've, again, there was a smaller wedding hall and a bigger wedding hall. So this girl calls up. She would like to, you know, book a wedding hall for her, for her wedding, and they give her the options. She says, I would definitely like the, the larger wedding hall, you know. I'd like to have as many of my friends. I've got a very large family. I'd like to have everybody there. Great. They lock it in. They put down the date. You have the date. We'll call it, you know, July 14th, okay? Now, a few days later, they get a call from another young woman. She says, I would like to book it. This is going out three months, whatever it is, before the wedding. And they call... And then she says, I, now some of you are looking at me like, three months? Don't you need to call like a year in advance? In the Orthodox world, like engagements are rarely longer. I mean, my engagement was five months, and it was a super long engagement. So like, there are people who get married eight weeks after they get engaged. So like, there's no such thing as booking your wedding hall a year out, because no one even has any idea who they're going to be dating in, you know, in, in six months from them, who they may get engaged to after a month, and then need to book a hall three months later. Okay, anyway, so a couple days later, they get a call from another woman, uh, a girl who was a, a uh, you know, also from a, a family with very limited means, and she's calling to book a wedding hall, and she says, I'd like to make my, make my wedding on July 14th. And they say, great, we have a wedding hall for you. Um, and then she's asked about capacity, and she finds out, she says, don't you have anything bigger? Because that's a, kind of a smaller wedding hall. And they say, look, we, we do have something bigger, but it's not available that day. That day it's already booked. But for whatever reason, she really needed to make the wedding that day, so she says, would you be okay if I? Would you be okay giving me the number of the other bride? I'd like to call her up and see if maybe we could work something out. So, so it's a, they don't. They say I'm sorry. We don't want to do this. Whatever. But finally, she's she's she pastors them enough, and they give her the number. This girl calls up the other bride and says, "Mazaltov, Mazaltov." She says, "Thank you. Uh, what, how do I know you?" She says, "You don't know me yet. <laughs> you don't know me yet, but." Baruch Hashem, I also get a Mazal Tov. Oh, Mazal Tov, Mazal Tov. And we're both getting married on the same night. Oh, that's so beautiful. It's so amazing. I'm so happy to hear that for you. How can I help you? Well, we're both getting married on the same night, and we both got wedding halls booked with Yad Eliezer. Oh, yeah, you also use them. Yeah, they're so amazing. They're so great. Yeah, the thing is, you got the larger wedding hall. And I've got a very large family. I, my, my, my mother is one of 14, and my sister, my, my father is one of 12, and we've got cousins and this and that. Is there any way that you could switch with me and I'll get the larger hall? So the girl says, excuse me? Like, no, like, not really. That's, you know, that's, I don't feel it was really fair of you to ask me that even. You know, I'm a, I'm a bride. I want to, I'm getting married and I want to have the most beautiful wedding and as many people as I can have. So I'm sorry. You know, I, I booked it first. Maybe look for a different day. So I can't do any other day. I can only do July 14th. Can you please work with me? She says, I, I, I'm sorry, I, I can't, I can't. But I wish you a model tub and you should have, you know, a beautiful, beautiful wedding. Okay, thank you very much. A couple days goes by, and the girl who booked the larger hall, she can't get out of her mind. She says, maybe I could. Maybe I could give up the bigger hall and give it to someone else. She says, look, wh- what am I building my house? My house, I'm building a house. I want to have a... An olam chesed yibana, you're building a house. God built a world of kindness. I want to build a world of kindness. What greater kindness could there be than founding the foundation of my wedding, the, the, my, the beginning of my building, the beginning of building my home and my family on a foundation of chesed, 
Okay, so I won't be able to invite everybody I was hoping to invite. We'll have to be a little bit more careful with the wedding list. But I want to build my house on a foundation of chesed. And there could be no greater sacrifice that I can imagine right now for me to literally lay the foundation of my wedding for her, but on chesed. So she calls the girl back. She says, listen, you know, I thought about it. I'd love for you to have the larger wedding hall. Are you serious? You're amazing. Thank you so much. Hashem should bless you. You should be benched. You should have hundreds of children and you should have so much. All the, you know, only good and happiness should chase you all days of your life. Okay, they work it out. They switch it. Now listen to this, ladies and gentlemen, because this is just, oh, wow, the Lord is good. July 14th comes along. Rabbi Dov Wiesel is sitting in his office and he gets a call from America, from a very wealthy person who was a donor of theirs. It's already 5 o'clock in the afternoon in Israel. It's 10 o'clock in the morning in America. Rabbi Dov Wiesel picks up. Who is this? Oh, it's Barry Schwartz from L.A. Oh, Barry. By the way, if there's a Barry Schwartz in L.A., this is not, it's not about Barry Schwartz in L.A. I just put out that name. All right, it's Bob. It's Bob. Oh, Bob. How you doing, Bob? He says, I am doing great. He says, listen, I get a Molotov. My daughter is getting married today. Oh, wow, Molotov, it's so amazing. Yeah, I know, you know, I think you sent me an invitation. I can't have gotten in Israel. Don't worry about it, don't worry, it's okay. I'm not, I'm not holding this against you. He says, listen, my daughter is getting married tonight, and I thought it would be so beautiful if while I'm making a wedding for my daughter, if I also made simultaneously on the same night a wedding for another girl in Israel and someone who doesn't have the money to pay for their own wedding, I want to make, I want to pay for a parallel wedding along with my, my daughter's. My daughter's getting married in a fancy place in L.A. I want to make a parallel night wedding the same night. Do you have anybody that you know who's getting married July 14th today who could use an extra, you know, some help? Dovizel says, of, of course, we have, we have two wedding halls, and they're both booked out. They're all booked out every night. And those girls, everyone who gets qualifies for those wedding halls can't really afford anything. So, yeah, I, I definitely do. He says, well, how should I pick? He says, look, we, we got a bigger wedding hall. We have a smaller wedding hall. Says, Bob, the wealthy guy from L.A., I will pay for the entire wedding and all the attendant expenses, the dresses, the flowers, all that for the, whoever the girl is who's making the wedding tonight in the smaller wedding hall. That night, at her wedding, okay, at her wedding, Yad Eliezer sent out a person who came to her wedding, and at her wedding they gave, presented her with a check for the entire cost of the wedding and all the accessories and everything Sometimes you do a chesed and it just comes back to reward you, boom, immediately. Okay. If I was a pastor right now, I'd be shouting, praise the Lord, praise the Lord. (laughs) For he is good, for his kindness is everlasting. Okay. All right, amen. (laughs) Can I get an amen? Okay, so that is chesed, ladies and gentlemen. That's the amazing world that God has created. Now let's do a little bit of a deep dive into chesed. If there's any text, in my opinion, that shows well, actually, if you want to show the greatest, if you want to show the greatest text of kindness, if anybody here, by, by raise of hand, what do you think is the greatest text of kindness in the Torah? And I see some people looking at their sheets. Go ahead. Yes, Abraham with the visitors, right? And I felt that way too. 
And it's right over here. That's in our source sheet. So yes, I agree with you. But then I realized, as I was saying this, I realized, wait a second. There's actually a, a greater text of kindness. You know what that is? Beratius bara elokim It's In the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. God did not need anything. He had no. He was not missing anything. He had no lackings. But he created the world out of a desire to give to others. So the, actually, the very first and most fundamental text of kindness is the creation of the world. God created the world knowing there'd be people who'd be lecturing from universities' podiums and saying, well, of course the God of the Bible doesn't exist, and if he did, I would put him in jail. You know, you've always, you know, that God knew that there would be generations of people blaspheming his name and serving idols and carrying out atrocities in the name of God, and yet God said, I'm going to create a world because I want to give kindness to others. So maybe the most fundamental text of kindness ever is... The words that God created the world, Barajas Barlokim. When God created the world, he created it out of kindness, which we're going to see later. There are sources to support that. However, when we talk about a greater, longer story of kindness, we're going to go with the answer right over here, which is the story of Avraham. Let us read it inside. It's eight verses, the first eight verses in Parshas Vayera, possibly some of my eight favorite verses in the whole Torah, for real. Now, I've got a lot, but these are from the top eight verses in the Torah, in my opinion. Meaning that I like the best. Everyone could have their own favorite verses. That's okay. Okay, source number one. Vayere, love Hashem, Beiloni, Mamre. Vuhu Yoshev, Pesach, Ha'olak, Echom, And Hashem appeared to Avram in the groves of Mamre. Avram lived in the area, in the Eloni, in the plains of Mamre. And he was sitting at the door of the tent in the heat of the day. And Avram lifts up his eyes and he sees. And behold, three men were standing near him. He saw them and he ran from the door of the tent to greet them. And he bowed down to the earth. He said, my master, if I have found favor in your eyes, please do not bypass your servant. Let a bit, you, you came all the way this way. Don't, don't just pass me by. Give me, please, the opportunity to serve you. Give me, please, the opportunity to serve you. Let me repeat that again. Give me, please, please, the opportunity to serve you. That's exactly what he's saying. Let a bit of water be brought and wash your feet. Rest yourselves under the tree. I will get bread, and you will sustain your hearts. Afterwards, you will continue on your way, because it is for this reason that you've passed by your servant. If you pass by, it must be that I should be able to have the honor and the pleasure of serving you a meal. Please, please, come my way. They said, fine, do as you have said. Avram hurried to Sarah's tent, and he said, hurry, take three measures of the finest flour, knead it, and make cake rolls. Avram ran to the cattle and took a tender choice calf. He gave it to the lad and hurried to prepare it. He took butter and milk and the calf he had prepared, and he set it before them. He stood over them under the tree, and they ate. They were sitting in the shade, and he stood over them, serving them while they're eating. He's standing there. I one time was in China. Now, China has a lot of people, right? Uh, China doesn't necessarily have a lot of I mean, they have a lot of money comparatively, but when you spread it out across all the people, not a lot of money. So an average person's day wage, this is going back a couple years, this is probably 2007 or 8, the average day wage was maybe, maybe the equivalent of like $6 a day. So manpower is super cheap in, in, in China, and when you go to any like high-end restaurant, hotel, they have a million people. There's literally, there, there's a hotel in China that has a bellman standing, waiting at the, at, behind on the service stairs area of every floor. So there's literally a bellman waiting. When you call the hotel and you say, hi, this is room 2307, I'd like to check out, can you send the bellman? 
They hit 2307. The bellman starts making his way to your door. The person on the other end of the line says, oh, yes, for sure, Mr. Uh, Mr. Smith, how was your stay? Oh, it was great. Thank you so much. Was there anything we can get you before you go? Do you need a ride to the airport? No, thanks. I'm fine. Okay, thank you so much, Mr. Smith. Have a wonderful day, and we're glad you stayed with us. Click. The phone gets hung up. Knock, knock, knock. There's a knock at the door. That's also, though, because they literally have 20, you know, this 25-story hotel. They've got bellmen sitting at every single floor just waiting for that call to come in. That's how cheap labor is. We had a Hnasa Sefer Torah. I went there for a Sefer Torah dedication. It was in a Ritzy Hotel in Pudong, which is like the financial district in Shanghai. They literally had, in the hotel, there was, it was a big room, about maybe double the size of this room, and they had all these festivities, they had a meal, they had a Sefer Torah celebration, there were speeches. There was literally, I kid you not, maybe 20 or 30 staff just standing at the perimeter. They're standing there like this with their hands behind their arms, ramrod straight, just waiting in case you need anything. I'm not even got 20 or 30 people. Like every three feet, there was another person just standing there in case you had a, a tissue you wanted to throw away or if they can get your cup from you or your plate. Can they, it's it's um, the amount of people. And I remember they were, I was with people. They were not um, kosher uh, observant. So they, were, they just were grabbing a bite to eat. This is a five-star hotel. They had, um, you know, one of the rules, I don't know if you know this, but in order to be a five-star hotel, you have to have at least four eateries in your hotel. Did you know that? You didn't know that. See, I'm so glad you came today. Thank you very much. We're done. No. Okay. So one of the rules are that in order to be a five-star hotel, you have to have four different eateries, a cafe, a morning place, a dinner, and different options. So in this hotel, they had four different eateries. When we were there, by the way, the, the hotel was relatively empty. We're talking about, I mean, there was almost no one there besides, besides us and the staff. But, and we didn't go during COVID. This is like 2007. But anyway, so they were eating at one of the eateries in the hotel, and there was literally just, it was the only people eating, the only people there were two guys eating and me having a Diet Coke. That's all it was in the whole restaurant. And there was four people, remember, we were three, there was four people standing around our periphery waiting if we needed anything, okay? I envisioned that. Here you have these three travelers, Avram goes and runs and brings them a whole meal, and then he's standing there, just waiting, in case you need anything. Oh, can I get, can I refill your glass with some more milk, please? Oh, no. Okay, can I get you some more bread? Is there anything else that you need? Do you guys want me to wrap some things for the road? I mean, this is the service that Avram is providing. They're sitting on the floor eating. He's standing. Now, mind you, let's remember a very important factor. We forgot about what scene this is. This is scene 12. Scene 11 was that Avram got a bris milah, an incredibly painful circumcision at the age of 99, three days earlier. Yeah, yeah, I forgot that little detail. So we're talking about a man who's running around, you know what I'm saying? Running around, grabbing people, helping people, and he's even standing there. He could be like, okay, guys, I got you your whole meal. Do you mind if I just sit down for a moment? No, this is my service. He's standing over them under the tree. So this is unbelievable. This is a man who's not just doing kindness, but he's actively pursuing kindness in a way that is just extraordinary. Begging people, please, can you come to my house and allow me to serve you? Let's unpack this a little bit. First of all, the Gemara says, Amar Abichama Barchanina. Abichama Barchanina says, Yom Shlishi Lemilaso Haya. What was God doing there? It says that Hashem came to visit Avram. What was God doing there in the first place? Not that he has to have an excuse to go to Avram, but 
It's just an interesting case because in all of the Torah, we find that when God comes to somebody, He comes to deliver a message. He comes to tell him something. He tell, comes to command him something, right? This is the only time in the Torah we, come, we see God coming to social, for a social visit. Meaning there was no statement that God... It's not like God appeared to Avram and said, blah, 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 blah. It doesn't say that. Just God appeared. God. So the Gemara notices this. And the Gemara points out that Hashem did not come to command, did not come for a decree, did not come for anything other than to have a social visit with Avraham. Now, by the way, just to understand, this is a, a very remarkable thing. Because in the pantheon of gods that all the nations of the world had, right... Now, again, until you get up to Judeo-Christian um, religions, right? Obviously, you know, they like the, the, the Christian depictions of uh, J.C. is that he was a pretty nice guy. He's washing people's feet and all kinds, you know, taking care of the poor and the widow. But that's only because they modeled the, their Christian testament over after ours. But if you think about all the other sort of pantheon of gods, are they, do, you know what they don't do at all? Read Greek mythology. They couldn't care Two hoots about you or me or any of us. They're busy warring against each other, eating their own children, you know, making each other carry rocks up a, a, a mountain only to send them crashing back down, right? They're, they're tying each other down to mountains and having eagles peck each other's eyes, eyes out, stealing women from down on earth. That is part of the, the, the mythology, right? You read Greek mythology, Roman mythology, you read Norse mythology, you read all these sort of these stories of all their gods, they're just a bunch of self-indulgent animals, party animals, with tempers and incredible amounts of narcissism and selfishness. Now, if you ask me, I'm not saying you have to, but if you did ask me, I would say, well, probably those gods were created by somebody who had those tendencies and wrote those tendencies into their God. That might be the case, right? If I'm a flaming narcissist and it's selfish and angry and a drunk and all that, you know, I might write a Bacchus into uh, the pantheon of gods. I'm like, wait, you got a problem with my lifestyle? Oh, I follow Bacchus. You know what I'm saying? You ever heard about him? Yeah, that's right. He was an alcoholic too. No, my name is Bacchus and I'm an alcoholic. But I'm unrepentant because I'm a god. Anyway, so... Okay. <laughs> so, all the gods of all the nations of the world, they don't care about human beings. Comes along... This is the first time where we... This is God. This is God. The creator of all things. The creator of all realities. Omnipotent, omniscient, omnipresent. And yet, what's he doing? He's coming to check up on somebody. It was the third day after Avram was brismila, and God is coming to check up on him. God is displaying for us the, the character trait of chesed, of kindness. The particular form of kindness this is called bikor cholim, which is one form of kindness, visiting the sick, or helping to provide things for the sick, or helping to provide things for people's family when a member is sick and the parents are dealing with the kid in the hospital. Or, as a matter of fact, there's an organization called RCCS, right, that is currently raising funds and they're specifically asking Detroiters to try to, they, they're servicing, they, they work with anybody, any family who's working with cancer. Any family that has any kind of diagnosis of cancer, you call our, not you, God forbid, but people call RCCS and they'll give them a whole suite of services. And, and right now they're servicing 14 families in Detroit. Right? So they're a national organization, but they're servicing 14 families in Detroit. So that's Bikor Cholim. 
But there's so many other forms of kindness. So, let's continue on over here in our journey. So, God is doing an act of kindness in the first place. God is doing, this is the, again, the only time in the Torah that we find God making a purely social visit. Okay? Next. Kechom Hayom. It was very hot that day. Why was it very hot? HaKadosh Baruch Hu says the Medrash brought out the sun from its sheath. Right? He unsheathed the sun. You think the sun is hot now? You wait until it gets unsheathed, okay? And then you're staring down the real sun. And God made it extremely hard because God did not want to... God knew that if there was anybody walking around, Avram would surely run out and try to engage them and take care of them. And Avram needed some time to convalesce. So Hashem said, I'm going to do Avram a favor. No guests today. Avram, take the day. Okay? Just take a personal day. Take a personal day. Okay? So, um, but what happened? Then Hashem sees that Avram is actually more stressed out by his inability to give than he was by the pain of his surgery. Again, this is a person whose entire being is so intrinsically linked to giving that he's more in pain from his, from his inability to give than from the surgery he just went through. By the way, this morning I was at a shiva house for a woman who used to come to our shir, actually. She used to come to our Thursday class. Um, Frida um, uh, uh, Lefkowitz, thank you. I'm sorry, I'm bad with, I'm bad with memories. But anyway, um, I heard about an amazing kindness. Listen to this, just to show you the kindness of people, even in the Holocaust. She was a Holocaust survivor. She was a Holocaust survivor. Her husband was a Holocaust survivor. So we were talking today at the Shiva house, and we were talking about like, how they managed to do chesed, even in the, in, the, in, the, in the death camps. What would happen... People would get sick all the time over there, right? People, their immune systems were down. They were barely getting nourished, right? So they didn't have the body. They didn't have the energy to fight off disease. And often, typhus or other, other illnesses would rage through the camp. The problem was, if the Nazis saw you, that you looked sick, which, by the way, I don't even understand. Like, everybody, everybody looks sick. Right? When you're feeding people 200 calories a day, maybe everybody looks sick. But if a person looked particularly sicker, paler, then the Nazis could just, they'll just throw you out and send you down to the, um, to, the, to, the, to the ovens. So what would they do for each other? Mrs. Lefkowitz said that when they were in the camps, if they would see that one of their you know, people in their, in their bunk, or one of the people in their house was looking very, very um, sickly, they would prick their finger and draw blood and they would literally just like put like rouge on the cheeks, on the forehead, to give them a little more of a rosy color so the guards would not notice that this person was sick. Can you imagine this? Can you imagine in the, in the place, like, they created those camps to break down the humanity of the Jew. It wasn't just for the labor. They literally, they wanted to break the spirit of the Jew and to be able to prove that the Jews were animals. By the way, do you know that there was Russian soldiers? When the Germans, when the Germans got American soldiers, they treated them right. I mean, right, whatever right means. They didn't, they didn't kill them. They didn't, but when the Germans, so the Germans, because they were worried about what would happen after the war, so they treated the American POWs decently. The Russian POWs, they treated like garbage. Because they're like, Stalin doesn't care about his people. Stalin is sending every 14-year-old kid he can find on a farm to come at us. You know, I don't know if you know, there was such a shortage of, of guns and bullets at one time that people were being sent into Stalingrad, which was a major, major battle, 
People were being sent into Stalingrad with like virtually no training, and there were Germans, you know, snipers and everything over there, and they, they, they didn't have enough bullets, enough guns, I'm sorry. So they would give every two recruits, every two soldiers, they would give them one gun. They would say, you go first. When he falls, you take his gun. Could you imagine that? So the Germans were like, look, you don't care about your people. We don't care about your people. And they would starve. They would take Russian soldiers, veterans of war. And by the way, this is about dispelling the whole, oh, you went like sheep to the slaughter. Which we're talking about families going together. If, you know, if somebody acts out, the entire family would be immediately shot to death. So if you did anything, you were condemning your entire family or your entire apartment building to death. But here you have Russian POWs, veterans of war, who have no fear of reprisal on their family. And the Germans would shepherd them into pens and they would just starve them to death. No food. They would just wait until everyone stopped moving. There was rampant cannibalism going on over there. The Germans were trying to break down the spirit of the Jew. That was part of the whole camp experience, was to break down the spirit of the Jew, to show the Jew that he was an animal. Because that's what the Germans believed. But you hear about the kindness that people did for each other. People breaking off half of their ration and giving it to their bunkmate because their bunkmate was sick. You're living on nothing and you give away half of your nothing to somebody else. You're concerned about somebody else and you make sure to prick your own blood and give it to somebody else, not worried you'll catch some kind of sickness from them. They're di- they got typhus. And you're going to make, you're going to put your finger with blood, an open wound or whatever, put it on the other finger. This is what people, these, they weren't humans, they were super beings. The Germans wanted to turn them into animals, but what did they turn into? Super beings, super humans. The kindness that went on in the, in the death camps is unbelievable. Okay, next. Now here's the problem. So it says that Avram is having a visit from God. Two angels show up. Sorry, three visitors show up. And Avram says, look at the language over here. Avram says, Vayomer, and he says, Adonai, my master, if I have found favor in your eyes, please don't leave your servant. Now this can be read in two different ways. One is that he was talking already, at this point it says already, he, he ran towards, the, uh, he ran towards the, the visitors. So the simple explanation is he's talking to the leader of the visitors and he's saying, hey there, guys, please don't, don't leave me. You, you passed by my house, don't leave me. But the Gemara brings another interpretation that he was talking to God. He's saying to God, I really appreciate you coming over for a visit, but right now i got some three Arab travelers i got to take care of, so please don't leave. Can you stick around? I'll be done in about uh, an hour and 15 minutes. Can you stick around? Don't leave me. How do you turn your back on God? God came to visit you. You're talking to God. And you ask God, I'm sorry, you got to wait. I've got some travelers here. Please don't leave. What does that even mean? You're in the middle of communicating with the divine. He came to visit you. And you say, hold up, hold up, God, please. As they say in today's meme culture, hold my beer <laughs> while I go and take care of these. Uh... <laughs> so he's like, how do you understand that? But the answer, my friends, is, and this is such an incredible important, is that the only thing greater than communicating with the divine 
is being divine. And when you're engaging in acts of kindness, you are being divine. God is a God of kindness. God has many names that describe Him because He's so, he's so ephemeral. We can't touch, feel, smell God. We describe Him with different names which all describe various attributes of His personality. But the one name that we can't even pronounce, we say, we say Ashado instead of saying the Yod and the He and the Vav and the He. The one name that we're not allowed to pronounce under any circumstances, because it's the one that's closest to His essence, is the name of kindness. God is kindness. What does God want more than anything else? To see His children, us, being like Him. So even more important than communicating with the divine is being Divine. Okay. Next. Avram, if you notice, involves his family in the process. Right? It says, and Avram hurried to Sarah's tent and said, hurry, prepare three measures of the finest flour needed and make cake rolls. And then he went to the cattle and he took a tender young calf and he gave it to the lad. Who's the lad? Yishmael, his son. Now, Avram, at this point, was a very wealthy man. The Torah describes he was a wealthy man and he had a, a large household with many, many servants. But the servants can take care of the sheep, the servants can do that. When it comes to chesed, I want to save that for my family. I want to save... Look, you can take a, take a, take a cow. You guys can keep the, uh, the chuck. You guys can keep the, uh, the 80-20... You guys can keep, uh, you know, whatever. You guys can keep a lot of cuts. You know what I'm saying? But I want, I, I want the fillet. Save me the fillet, right? If I'm the owner of this, this animal, right, I say, you can take these cuts and that cuts, all that, no problem. But save me the best cuts. Avram's like, I've got a household full of people working. But when we got a mitzvah, we have an opportunity to do kindness, save that for us. Who's going to work on that? I'm going to work on that. My wife's going to work on it. And my son's going to work on it. It is so important for us to involve our children in the acts of kindness that we do. There's no greater gift that you can give somebody than the gift of unlocking in them the giving, the giving muscle. This is a muscle. It goes like this. You see? I have my hand is by me. And then I have my hand outstretched. It's a specific muscle. And it's a muscle that the strong, the more you use it, the better you get at it. And it gets stronger, like all muscles. When you use it more and more, it gets stronger. When you use it less and less, it atrophies. The greatest exercise that you can do is this exercise. This exercise. Giving, giving, giving. Giving, giving. And teaching your children to have that exercise, that muscle too. So Avram says, I, could, I remember when I was a kid, Often we would have people coming to, to our home to visit to ask for charity from Israel. Now the way my home was set up, the door was over here, the kitchen was right over here, and the bedrooms were down over there. I remember we would be playing in the bedroom. My mother would call and ask us to come to the front of the house to serve somebody a drink. Because somebody was there from Israel... And my mother or father would have asked them, can we get you something to drink? And they would say, yeah, I'll take a water, I'll take an orange juice, whatever. 
My mother would call us from the back of the house to come give this gentleman a drink. It would have been easier. The, the kitchen's right there. She could have easily gone in and gotten it. It would have been much easier. But she wanted to give us that muscle. And guess what I do now? When people come to my house, I offer them a drink. And if they say yes, I ask my kids, Hey, Rachel, come here. Can you get this gentleman, please, a glass of orange juice? Can you get this gentleman uh, a, a Diet Coke? We keep orange juice in the house primarily for guests. Like we don't, we're not big orange juice drinkers. But we try to buy orange juice because a lot of times the, the people who come from Israel, they, they like orange juice, you know, whatever. So we try to keep it. And then I'll call one of my kids to please come and make sure, you know, to, to get this gentleman orange juice with some ice and so on and so forth. So one of the most important things that we can do is not just to do kindness, but to make sure we involve our children in the kindness that we do. Next... I don't know if you noticed this, but there's a lot of rushing around over here, right? Let's go see this. Let's see how many times. Avram sees the, the three travelers. He runs to greet them. And he says, please don't pass by. And they say, okay, fine, we'll do that. Now verse 6, and Avram hurried to the tent of Sarah, and he says, hurry, prepare three Measures of the finest flour make cakes. And to the cattle, Avram ran, and he took a good choice tender calf. He gave it to the lad, and he hurried to prepare it. And then he's standing over them. Isn't that amazing? He's running everywhere. Because there's a double, there's a double way this works. If you love something, you run to do it. There, you know, you see sometimes um, videos of stores on Black Friday. You know, they open up, and boom, right? The door is all these people, and they open up the doors. And I mean, in, in the olden days, when it was so quaint and beautiful and nice, people just started running to go get all, get all the sales. Now it's like trampling over, smat, whatever. It's, it's, it's <laughs> horrific. But anyway, but you know, people, they love getting deals. They love getting deals. So some of them used to, you know, obviously people wait outside. People are waiting outside. Best Buy, I think at this point, Best Buy is barely offering anything that's a, that good of a deal. But it's just like, it's a tradition. My family spends the three days before Xmas uh, online. Yeah, we go to the Alameda. Best Buy, our fam- that's our family tradition, okay? Your family tradition is not like having dinner together as a family for the holiday. Your family tradition for the holiday is to spend three days waiting outside, including Thanksgiving, mind you, waiting outside the Best Buy in Alameda. You know, like, what, a, what a country we live in, right? Anyway, anyway, so, um, but what you're excited about, you have all the energy in the world for. Avram has all the energy in the world for kindness because that's what animates him and that's what's exciting. So look in your life. If you want to understand what really means something to you, look at where you have the most energy. You know, there was a time in my life that getting up for chakras was a little bit of a challenge. But getting up at 3 o'clock in the morning to go snowboarding was not a challenge at all. So you start saying, okay, now I know what my priorities are. What do I have energy for? I, I, I don't ever have a situation where I'm supposed to go snowboarding the next day in Vermont and it's five hours away and I get up at 2.45 in the morning and it's a five-hour drive from 3 a.m. to 8 a.m. to get there so you can dive in and be finished by 8.30 and get the first tracks on the mountain. I never woke up at 2.45. I'm like, oh, I'm so tired. Maybe I'll just snooze it a couple times, right? Oh, we love to snooze. We don't love to snooze when you're going snowboarding. So... 
you understand what's important to you by when you see what, what you have energy for. But it also works the other way. The Mesil Zisharm, the path of the just, has a brilliant piece on this where he talks about the idea that if you act with alacrity, you get excited. I, you know, I, I, over the course of the summer, I've had a, a couple daughters who were counselors at various camps, and Baruch Hashem, I had very fond memories of my time being a counselor in various camps. Um, so they called me for some advice. It's beautiful to be able to dispense advice to my young daughters who are amazing counselors. And sometimes things don't work out your way. You know, your bunk supposed to go to get breakfast, and there was no breakfast, and they went to the arts project room, and there was no arts, or they went to the baseball diamond, but there was no diamond, and there was no baseball, and whatever, you know, they're supposed to go swimming, but then they get there, and they shut it down, and they send you back to the bunks, and they call you back. What are people like? Sometimes you're not that excited to do things. What do you do when you're not that excited to do things? You act like you're excited to do things, and then you get excited to do, to do things. That's the amazing trick, right? If you don't want to go swimming, you're like, oh, I don't want to go, because we just went out there, and they called off the activity because they said they saw lightning, and now they're telling us to go all the way back out there again? And then you're like that. Your whole bunk is like that. Or you're like, ladies, we are going swimming! And everyone's like, oh, okay. All right, we're going swimming. You're like, yeah, this is going to be awesome. You know? And then you start to actually feel that. Because whatever you express on the outside ends up going inwards. Okay? So when it comes to kindness, if we're not feeling it, do it with more zest than usual. Do it with more physical. I don't mean like excitement, because you're not excited. You're not there yet. But walk faster. You know, sing along while you're doing it. Do something. When you're doing an act of kindness and you're not feeling it, make sure you put the external motions that it should feel like something you're excited about, and you will get excited about it. It's just very, very cool. Okay, now... So this is Avram. This is our great patriarch Avram. How does this affect us today? So if you look at your source sheet, if you look at your source sheet, source number four. Do you want to know why God started with Avram? Why did God start off his special chosen people with Avram? The Pasuk tells us in Genesis 18 and 19, Bereshus, Yudches, Yudtes, Kiyadativ. For I have given him special attention, because he commands his children and his household after him, to do charity and justice. So that Hashem will bring upon Avram that which he has spoken of him. <coughs> the first thing that we see when Hashem is deciding to... Basically, he's saying, why did I pick Avram? Because I knew that he was going to teach his children to do charity and justice. And indeed, the Gemara in Yevamos, the next source sheet, page 79a, Ayin Tesamad Aleph says, Shlosha simanim yesh There are three signs that you are Jewish. Number one, length of nose. Number two, <laughs> money under the floorboards. Number three, presence of blood in those wafer-like things they eat around Easter. <laughs> I'm kidding, I'm kidding, I'm kidding, I'm kidding, I'm kidding. Alrighty. What are the three things? <laughs> the three signs that you are a Jew. Rachmanim, Baishanim, and Gomle Chasadim. The Jewish people are merciful. They are bashful. They have a sense of shame and pride and dignity. They don't do things that debase themselves. 
and they do acts of kindness. If you see somebody who doesn't have these character traits, and he does not show any pity for his fellow creatures, and he does not have any sense of internal shame, he's absolutely brazen, and he doesn't do any acts of kindness, just know that he, he does not have that Abrahamic DNA in him. Look into him. If he tells you that he's a Jew, and you see he's just ruthless, and you see that he has brazen, and he doesn't do acts of kindness, you say, let me, let me, let me look into this guy. Because I don't know, if, if, if he would have... This is, again, in Judaism we believe in a concept of spiritual DNA. Right? You can do certain things in your lifetime that again get spiritually bequeathed to your children and your grandchildren and your great-grandchildren going all the way down. We have that kindness gene inside of us from the time of Abraham. And indeed, that's why Jews give more away per capita than any other group in America, except for the Mormons. Because if you don't give 10% and you're a Mormon, you get kicked out of being a Mormon. So, of course, by definition, everyone gives 10%. But other than that forced, coerced Mormon... We are the most giving people in America. That is statistically a fact. Why is that? Because we have that DNA in us. It's amazing. Avram left it in our DNA, and he also left it in our, in our system that we should be teaching it to our children. Today, you know, my daughters go to the Beis Yaakov over here, and they, and pretty much every single Beis Yaakov, has what's called chesed hours, Every student has a requirement to fulfill a certain amount of chesed hours every week to go help out a family, the family in the community. They have a lot of children. They need extra help. You have a requirement to fill every year a certain amount of chesed hours. So, um, same, my daughter went to seminary. Same thing when they go to seminary in Israel, right? Chesed hours. It's, it's just a, it's a basic. Now, chesed is much deeper than just being nice. As we said before, and I, want, I said we're going to come back to it now, this is now source number five. Says the Avos de Rabbi Nasan. Ha'olam mitchila lo nivra ela b'chesed. The world was created for kindness. That's what the world was created for. Shenemar, as it says in Tehillim, Psalms chapter 89, ki amarti olam chesed yibana. For God said, I will build a world of kindness. God had no need for us. But he said, I want to be able to give of my goodness to another. So he created a world so that he could give to us. Now, and it's indeed in the path, the, the uh, Orchos, no, the Derech Hashem, the path of God, chapter 2, it says, Hine hatachlis babria. The Derech Hashem is kind of like a, it's like, it's almost like an auto, if God wrote an autobiography, and he told you to spill all, why did I do this, how did I do this? That's the Derech Der Hashem is written by Rabbi Moshe Chaim Lutzato. It's a very deep philosophical text. And it's supposed to be like sort of like the God from the world from God's view. So in there, chapter two, he says, Hine Atachlis Babria, the purpose of the creation, he lehetiv mituvo lizulaso, that God wanted to give of his goodness to another. Now, if our job in this world is to what they call in Latin imitatio Dei, to imitate the divine. If that's our job, and God created the world out of a desire to give of His goodness to another, 
And if we want to imitate God, what's our role in the world? To give of our goodness for another. And as a matter of fact, the uh, Rabbi Chaim Volozhin has a sefer. Rabbi Chaim Volozhin was the founder of the modern yeshiva system. He has a sefer called Nefesh Chaim. And in the preface, his son writes that when I was growing up in my house, my father used to always say the following phrase, a person was only created to do good for another. Do you want to know why you're here? It's not to enjoy the great vistas of the world, although hopefully you do that, because it inspires you to do good for others. It's not to taste all the fine culinary delights. Your purpose in this world is to do good for another. If you want to know, how am I doing? How am I doing? What's, how's my report card going? If you want it, you can distill it down. There's a lot of things, there's a lot of mitzvahs. There's 613 commandments, there's Shabbos and kosher. But Rav Chaim Velazhin says, if you want to distill it down, look at how much are you doing for another. Now that other could be your spouse, it could be your children, it could be your parents, it could be your neighbors, it could be your colleagues at work. There's a lot of different, it doesn't have to be specifically, you know, people are always looking, you know, charity starts at home. People are always looking, who can I take care of out there? But if you're not at home all the time because you're busy taking care of people out there, you're often neglecting at home. But if you do the wash for your spouse and you do it with that mindset, I'm doing this wash that my spouse or my children will have clean clothing. It's a beautiful chesed. If you make dinner for your spouse... Because you want them to have a beautiful dinner. That's an amazing act of kindness. Have that intentionality. Recognize it. Often we don't realize how much good we're doing. So keep track of all those things. Now, now we have a question. Look at source number six for a second. This is from Pirkei Avos, Ethics of Our Fathers, chapter one, verse uh, Mishnah two. Simon the righteous was from the left, the remaining members of the men of the great assembly. Who Omer? He used to say, "Al shlosha dvarim ha'olam omed." Three things the world stands on: al hatorah ve'al ha'avoda ve'al chasadim. On Torah, on service, which is like prayers, and on acts of kindness. Now the question is, what is the priority list? Right? What is the priority list? Let's see a couple more sources. The Pasuk says to us in, the, in, in Micha, chapter 6, verse 8, You have been told what is good and what Hashem asks of you. To act justly and to love kindness and to walk humbly with God. Okay, so again, same kind of idea. What are the priorities over here? Now, let's see a little bit more contemporary. I mean, Micah, My, Micha was one of the Nevi'im, so he lived about 2500 BCE or before. So we're talking about a few years ago, right? Um, no, no, sorry, not 2500, 500 BCE or so. <laughs> I just guys get, yeah, I made him 2,000 years older than I should have. I'm sorry. Alrighty, I, mis, I misaged him. That is an aggression. Okay, so Micha lived two, about 2,500 years ago from today. He lived about 500 BCE or a little bit before then. So that's then. Let's look at Maimonides. Maimonides lived about 800 years ago, and he writes the following. In, in, there's a special section in Maimonides called Helchos Matnos Aniyim, the laws of the gifts for the poor. 
Chayavim anu lizar b'mitzvah staka. We have to be very careful with the mitzvah staka. Yaser mikol mitzvah zaseh more than any other positive commandment. You heard that? We have to be careful with the mitzvah of tzedakah more than any other positive commandment. Shehat tzedakah simen letzadikei zera Avram Avinu. For giving charity is a symbol of the righteous descendants of Avram Avinu. Of Avram, our father, Shenemar, as it says, ki adatav l'mana sheri tzavaz banav esbeis ha'achorav, like we just read, the verse that Hashem gave Avram, the patriarchy, began the patriarchy with him and his wife, Sarah, the matriarchy, because they were going to command their children in kindness. So when you do Charity and acts of kindness, you are fulfilling that manifest destiny of us Jewish people. But the problem is, but the problem is, we have other sources that seem to indicate not so much like that. The following is a Mishnah in Tractate Peah, chapter 1, Mishnah 1. These are a list of things that have no limit. Then you could give as much of them as you want. Different mitzvahs that you could do as much as you want. But let's focus on the next statement. These are things that you can do in this world, that you get the initial, the, the, you get some dividends in this world, but the principle is being held for you in heaven. So the, the majority of the reward, the principle you get in heaven, but already in this world you start to eat some dividends, you get to benefit from the dividends of your behaviors. And what are them? And then it gives a whole list of mitzvahs. Kibbut of aim, honoring your parents, acts of kindness. I'm skipping a bunch of them. Helping people make peace between each other. However, the Mishnah concludes with Talmud Torah Keneged Kulam. The learning of Torah is greater or is equal to all of them combined. Which indicates that learning Torah is better. How do we understand this? So here's a fascinating Gemara in the Yerushalmi in the Jerusalemite ta- track, uh, Talmud, tractate Chagiga. I'll just read, we'll read the English, source number eight. Rav sent someone to check on his son, Rabbi Hanina, who he had, he had sent Rabbi Hanina's son to go study Torah in Tiberias. So he sent somebody, oh, you're heading that way, can you go check up on my son? Tell me what's he up to? Is he sitting and studying in the study hall? Or is he sitting in the coffee room having coffee breaks? So the man comes back and he says, i got to be honest, I was there in Tiberia for a couple days, and I really kept, kept keeping an eye out for your son. I, I didn't see him much in the, in the study hall. He was busy digging graves for people who died and didn't have you know, money for funeral expenses. <laughs> Rabbi Vo got very disappointed. He says, I, I don't understand. Is, I live in, in Caesarea. I live in Caesarea. Is there a lack of grave digging needs over here that I had to send you all the way? I didn't send you halfway across Israel to dig graves. You want to dig graves? Come back home, son, and dig graves at home. I paid for you to go to yeshiva. I sent you off to yeshiva so you could study Torah, not to dig graves. What are you doing digging graves over there? Now, of course, digging graves is an act of kindness. Studying Torah, studying Torah. So which one is greater? So the other rabbis who were around him in, in Caesarea... They comforted him, and they said that learning only comes first if there's no one there to do the mitzvah. However, 
If there's no one there to do the act of kindness, then the act of kindness goes first. And if your son is in Tiberias, and there were other people there who are willing, to, there's a Chavra Kadisha, there's a, you know, whatever it is, there's other people willing to dig the graves, and he should be sitting and studying. But if there's no one else willing to dig the graves, and there are people who are sitting here rotting, their bodies are rotting because they don't have a grave, and no one's willing to pay for their funeral, then he should not be in the study hall. He should be digging the grave, which is how we learn, indeed, the Halacha. The Halacha tells us that, and this is from the Hilchus Talmud Torah, by the Rambam. It says like this, source number nine, if one has performed the choice of doing a mitzvah or learning Torah, if the mitzvah can be performed by others, then the person should continue learning. Otherwise, they should do the mitzvah and then return to their learning. So, how do we understand this? If Torah is better, why do we put it away for acts of kindness? And if acts of kindness are better, why do we put it away if there's other people to do it? I should say, if, if acts of kindness, I meaning again, you hear the question? If Torah learning is better, then why should I say there's no one there to do the acts of kindness, so I'm going to do acts of kindness now? Why? Torah learning is better. And if Torah learning is not better and acts of kindness are better, why should you say, well, there's other people to do it, so I'll do Torah learning right now? Here's the answer, and with this we'll conclude. There is a verse in Mishlei, in the final chapter of Mishlei, which of course is the chapter about the woman of valor, the Eishas Chayel. It says, She opens her mouth with wisdom, and the Torah of kindness is on her tongue. The Torah is described as the Torah of kindness. The goal of the Torah is kindness because the goal of the world is kindness, as we said, Olam Chesed Yibana. God created the world for kindness. However, Torah is the fuel that gets you fully engaged in the acts of kindness. By the way, there's a lot of research done here. There's a famous researcher named uh, Laguerre. Let me find his first name over here. Um, And he basically indicates, he, he does studies in the Jewish world, and he basically comes out that he studied like the various different um, groups within Judaism, so to speak. Well, there's only one Judaism, but there are various groups of affiliations, shall we call it. And he comes out with the fact that people are much more likely, if the more involved they are with studying Torah, the more charity they give, the more time they volunteer, the larger percentages of their income they give away. Uh, I have the source here, but... Oh. Here we go, here we go, here we go, here we go, here we go. Political scientist Raymond Legg Jr. did a survey of giving, and he found out that people who are deeply involved with the Torah are 50% more likely to volunteer their time than those who are not, even within the Jewish community. Uh, Nearly 14% of people who are fully Torah engaged contributed over $5,000 to charity during the last year versus 2.8 for less involved and 1% for even less involved, if you know what I'm talking about. And... um, they were also, yeah, they, so the, the more, the Torah is the fuel that helps us engage. Because as we study the Torah, and as we learn about how important it is to God, the Torah is God written out on paper. So the more we study the Torah, the more we engage with the Torah, the more godliness we absorb into ourselves, which means the more we're going to give. But here's the deal. The whole purpose of the world is kindness. If you have a choice to study or to do an act of kindness, if somebody else can do the act of kindness, let me fill up my gas tank 
with more kindness so that when there's nobody else around, I'll have the energy to do it. But if there's nobody there to do it and I have gas in my tank, go and do it. Understand? The overall goal of the world is kindness. The Torah is the fuel for that kindness. If you have a choice of either adding fuel to your kindness tank or doing the act of kindness, add more fuel. Because someone else, if someone else is there to do the kindness, add more fuel. That fuel will be used. Don't worry. You're going to end up using that, that fuel. As we show that people who are Torah involved, the more Torah involved they are, the more they're giving, the more they're volunteering their time, the more supports they have within the community for one another. But if there's a need out there and no one else is going to meet it and you have gas in your tank, remember, the goal is kindness. Go and do it right now. So, God willing, ladies and gentlemen, we learn together. We learn together beautifully. It's been a great time learning with you. And we're all doing kindness, so we just filled up our tanks a little bit, and now we can go out and go do amazing things. Thank you all for coming. Thank you for listening, and thank you for being awesome. You've just experienced another Torah class brought to you by TorahAnytime.com.